the historical through line gives confidence to the people of God so that they can live and act in a certain way. The same God who did this, the same people who experienced this, the hall of faith, as we like to say in Hebrews 11. And so as we think about that, imagine how much the history of slavery affects black people and black Christians today, innumerably. Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today is an interview with Tyler Burns. All right. Uh, so we have a special guest with us today. Um, I've been excited about this podcast. So there's sort of the official introduction that you bring all your guests in with, which I'm going to give a few of those, but I'm going to give the introduction because I feel like my introduction would be more relevant to our listeners. But we, with us, we have Tyler Burns who is a pastor in Pensacola, um, not at Pensacola, which is what our listeners will think when they hear Pensacola, <laughs> He's in the city of Pensacola <laughs> at New Dimensions. Uh, is it Christian Church? Christian Center. Yeah. Christian Center, yeah. New Dimensions Christian Center. And he is the president of The Witness, a black Christian collective, co-host of Pass the Mic, but for me personally, I mean, those are this pass the mic is a international podcast, um, award-winning with co-host, uh, Jamar Tisby, who's the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. Blue check verified. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, so that's, that's how I started uh, listening to uh, getting to know Tyler. But for me personally, I listen to every episode of passing the mic. Um, so just as an introduction to our listeners on, on why, because many of them may not know Tyler um, or, or kind of where he's coming from, but I became the pastor at our church officially five years ago in January, but um, oh. got there in six years ago. So I got there in 2015. Okay. So 2015, things are getting, things are changing in America. And for a white pastor, you're kind of coming to a crossroads in your ministry. You know, you've got Trayvon Martin's killing. You've got um, um, Michael Brown. Michael Brown. Yeah. You've got, um, I'm trying to think of the one in New York. Uh, Eric Garner. Eric Garner. That's all that's happening. So so white pastors are kind of, myself included, who was raised in a, I mean, just to be perfectly honest, I was and maybe still am a Sons of the Confederacy. Like, I got a picture next to one of the, colonels with the rebel flag behind us mm. i sported the rebel flag like i was wow a christian but you know the south's gonna rise again all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um so i had came to a crossroads at that point in my ministry when i became the pastor of a church with black people in it and so i remember standing up on the stage first sunday looking out at the audience and thinking i don't know what i'm doing here like i don't know how to do this mm. job i was not prepared for mm. this do these people even care about Trayvon Martin? Like that, those are questions. Um, it's, it feels like um, St. Louis had just happened. And I remember thinking like, mm-hmm. is this important to the black people in my church? Now, you mm-hmm. know, Tyler, you're thinking like, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. So I started talking to him and I immediately realized I was in over my head. Didn't know what I was doing. So for the when I began the pastor, first couple of years, the main voice that I listened to on pastoring was a guy named Mark Dever. I don't know if you know him from Nine Marks. It's just sort of church health, preaching, yeah. discipleship. Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Yep. Right, right. Yeah, you know, the BDU's there. So just kind of basic church health, how to disciple, how to preach. So for probably the first two or three years, that his pastoring was sort of um, the main influence on me. But then once you kind of get that stuff down, it's not real complicated. Um. Honestly, the second pastor for me for the past two or three years has been you, Tyler. So, like, you've honestly Whoa. been the, the pastoral. <laughs> That's voice heavy, that, man. Whoa. Really, you know, and I'm not, and I don't say I don't, I don't pump people up like this. Um, the pastoral voice that I've listened to that has the most influence for the past two years has definitely been you. Um, and I know you're not perfect. Like, this isn't sort of like you're the pastor. Honestly, your growth and your journey over the past five years, because I started listening to you five years ago. Um, mm maybe six that's been part of the pastoring is watching you sort of, you know, you've been yourself the whole time, but, but you, I mean, you just talk about this and in, in your leave loud. Some of the stuff you're saying leave loud. I remember that happening. Like I remember the conversations right, right. and um, 
thinking back to where I wasn't, well, I wasn't ready for the stuff you guys were talking about even back then. So, so anyway, for our listeners, like Tyler's been the guy who's pastored me from a distance, um, past the mic, man. Like that's, that's where you go when you're feeling like crazy, like, man, maybe I'm not, maybe this racial stuff's not real. Cause people <laughs> see me on Facebook and they're just like, Oh, you're like all out there and you're crazy and trying try to start riots and all this stuff. <laughs> right, like right. you don't care what anybody thinks. And like I get home and I'm like, man, I think I'm going too far. I think this, I'm making too much of it. Like maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. it's not maybe race isn't really a big deal. Like these are the kind of thoughts I have. Like maybe it's not a big deal. Then I'll be like, I'll go listen to Pass the Mic. And then it's like, greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode. <laughs> of Pass the Mic. Um, this is for black people. And if you're a white person listening, great, but keep be quiet. <laughs> So, which honestly, like for people who haven't, don't listen to pass the mic, they're going to get on there and be like, Oh, this is, this is not for white pastors. It is for white pastors. And part of the journey for me is, is learning to be a part of something that's not for me, Mm. which is very difficult for white people being a part of something that's not for you. Mm. And you're not really there to speak into it, but still like learning and listening. Mm-hmm. that's been a real sanctification thing for me because i'm a fun i was raised fundamentalist and man we always mm-hmm. got something to say <laughs> we're right, always right <laughs> so um so anyway that's my intro and of course you can go on the witness facebook page or uh, the witness um website they got articles on there they got all sorts of links and mm-hmm. great resources but tyler's a pastor like tyler you would say that right like you're a pastor I mean, and, and you can hear it coming across Absolutely. in your your podcast. Now, that's my primary call, man. Um, my side of husband and father is to uh, pastor God's people, man. And I just want to say what you've said is uh, incredibly humbling and encouraging and uh, stunning in many ways. I remember the first time I met you was in D.C. in 2018. And uh, you stood up in at a live little gathering that we had and you asked a question. <laughs> and I remember... I remember you said, I'm pastor in the IFB church. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's right. And man. I remember Jamar was just kind of nodding. I was like, no, 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 no. We need to sit with that, you know, because of yeah. you know, where I come from as a, a graduate of Pensacola Christian Academy and, you know, an attendee of, of Pensacola Christian College, all the above. So very familiar with the world and mm-hmm. um, very familiar with some of the language and um, some of the things that that I think could probably change for the better as well. So, Yeah. Man, it's an honor. It's an honor to be here and an honor to be having this conversation with you. All right. Yeah. So also for our listeners, um, Tyler knows our churches. Like he grew up, you didn't grow up, you grew up in a um, black Pentecostal church. And actually, listen, yeah. if you just go on past the mic, I think April 5th, leave loud. Tyler, you give your story there. You talk about your background, mm-hmm. the kind of church you went to, but you went all the way through Pensacola Christian Academy. And then yeah, into man. the college. Oh, hey, we just yeah. did. We just did years. Yeah. So you like, you know, it probably better than we do. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> that outside perspective. We just uh, interviewed Ben Sebrel. Yeah, that's my guy. So Ben and I went to uh, PCC together and we have a hilarious backstory, which. <laughs> now, he, he told us he told us the one about. The uh, the one you mentioned in your podcast too about the history teacher, yeah, but no, that's not so. Ben and I, I think we can laugh about this now, <laughs> but Ben and I had a crush on the same girl at PCC, <laughs> and it was so much rivalry between us. It's hilarious, um, <laughs> and then the girl doesn't choose either one of us, which is hilarious. Breaks now both of our hearts in separate in separate cases, <laughs> and then a couple of years pass, and uh, man, we just always were friends on Facebook and. You know, truth be told, I've always looked up to Ben's ability to move a room, which mm. was the truth in college, um, his prodigious creative talent, um, which was was obviously seen there, you know, in, in ways people didn't even know about because he was writing songs and they were recording yeah. songs and all kind of stuff there. Um, man, and his, his Christian convictions, which were, I mean, just, which still are just completely steadfast and rock yeah. solid. So I've just, I've always enjoyed um, just watching him from afar. And then we became pretty quickly friends being PKs and, mm-hmm. you know, experiencing the the discussion of succession, all kinds of things. So oh, Ben's yeah. my guy now. So I'm glad we can laugh about, <laughs> yeah. about our silly backstory now, but it's, it's hilarious, man. Oh, that's good. 
Yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about is, so, you know, you kind of know the churches that we're, we're pastoring here because you went to the same schools that, that trained us. Not, not every, not all of our listeners went to PCC, but we all went to that same kind of style. So one thing I want to talk about was, so, so you're, you're president of the witness, a black Christian collective. And like, you're very open. You're very vocal that you're here for your people. Just like Paul was there for the, for his people, you're there for your people. So I'm not really interested in you, or I don't think you're interested in helping white pastors as much as you are helping the black people in their churches. Like that's the that's the target for for the witness. So what I kind of want to do here is for pastors who are called and are trying to live up to the biblical model, we're not supposed to be the focus of our churches, right? So I'd like to think that the listeners listeners are going to say. I don't need help. I don't, I don't want to be the focus. How do I help the people in my church? So there are black people in these churches that got there in many different ways and have stayed for many different reasons. And now they have a white pastor who doesn't know how to pastor them. And I know some of our listeners may not agree with me, but whatever. They don't know because white people don't know how to pastor black people. We just weren't raised that way. We weren't trained. And certainly if we went to independent Baptist schools, we were trained the opposite. So maybe the first thing you could talk about is what does an independent Baptist church do to a black person who's a member of it? Potentially. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, yeah. you know, and, and, and be as bold as you want, because we've already offended everybody <laughs> already. <laughs> They're still listening. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's, they're, they're still listening. They're still here. Right. Right. Um, you know, what I would say is, is, first of all, a disclaimer is I've never actually, I've never been a part of an IFB church in that regard. Like, obviously, I went to the, you know, you had to attend a certain number of services at the campus church at, you know, Pensacola Christian College, which is, you know, relatively um, well known nationally. So, um, you know, used to run cameras there, all kind of stuff, okay. man. You okay. know, it's part of my, part of my uh, requirements for my major, my broadcasting major. So, I mean, obviously very familiar with, with the environment, but haven't necessarily been grown up in that world and experienced it, you know, 24 seven. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always have my refuge um, at home and at my church, you know, and, and, and I also would say, yes, I do think, you know, our emphasis at The Witness is to center black Christians in mm-hmm. our work, because so much of the work that involves black Christians is often uh, talking to others about black Christians rather than talking to and specifically okay. encouraging, educating and empowering black Christians. That's the whole point of why we're black centered and why we call ourselves a black Christian collective. But, you know, I, I do think it is important to say that if, if white pastors like yourself and the ones who are listening and, you know, members and congregants are encouraged and are challenged and grow in the midst of this, that's a win. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, It's just not going to be our number one focus. And there are other ministries that do that a lot better than we do. But we have a specific call to our people. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about what could happen at an independent fundamental Baptist church for Black Christians, it's pretty much the same thing that could happen at any church for Black Christians, which is that their culture will be seen as incidental rather than intentional, hmm. that their culture and their expression and their experiences will be di- diminished and dismissed, whether culturally or spiritually, um, and, and that they will not receive the care that all pastors are called to give to their parishioners. And care yeah. looks different in different scenarios and in different expressions um, and for different members. And so that's true of any church, you know, and, and unfortunately true of a lot of black churches as well um, in other denominations for black Christians. But I think when we talk specifically about independent, independent fundamental Baptist churches, my heart is that how big is the gospel that you preach? And does the gospel that you preach, is it big enough um, to not see Black Christians implicitly as a threat hmm. or their experiences as a threat to the foundation, which 
Jesus says cannot be shaken. And so for for me, what I grew up hearing in independent fundamental Baptist settings in education was that, again, my culture was incidental, that it wasn't necessarily that important, that my experiences should be hyper-analyzed and focused on the preservation of an idea or what we come now to believe is a myth of American exceptionalism in all areas. Mm. Um, That there were so few black people who made any sort of contributions to the country and Christianity that that they weren't even worth mentioning, um, much less learning from and gleaning from. And so when you have been taught and trained in circles that do not center and do not recognize and acknowledge black Christian contribution to the church or see it as vastly heretical or vastly um, unhelpful. What, what you have to be careful of is the arrogance that you don't need any sort of education or any sort of, of growth in the area of how you would treat your, your black members and really even more fundamentally your black neighbors too, because that matters as well. Right. So as we seek to love God and love neighbor, you know, the, the first thing we have to acknowledge is, well, if I didn't spend substantive time learning and getting training that incorporates black Christian thought, why do I think I have all the requisite equipment inherently within me to handle some of the most complex issues facing our world today. Yeah. And that's why we have to go to God and say, yeah, I, I need wisdom. Yeah. And if any, if any man needs wisdom, yeah. let that, let that person go and ask because God will give when people ask, but only when you ask, right? Like that's the thing. So yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what I would say to begin with. Yeah. Well, I mean that the humility there that's lacking in so many dominant culture churches, specifically white independent Baptist churches. Let me, let me throw this scenario out. That's a real life scenario. You go to uh, you, are you familiar with the sword of the Lord? I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the sword of the Lord conference was at a time, one of the large national conferences. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it is now. I've been a few years, um, but I went maybe five, six, seven years ago and there was over a thousand pastors there and they have a display hall. And in one of the boot, one of the sort of places where you could buy books and stuff, they had a large display of paintings, maybe two foot by five foot paintings of Confederate generals. Mm-hmm. So I take my members with me because they would, they encourage you to bring your members. I didn't do this, but let's say I, I took some of my black members to the Sword of Lord Conference, mm-hmm. National Conference. They, I know what I felt when I walked in, which at that time wasn't much because I was like, oh, cool, Robert E. Lee and, and Stonewall Jackson, great Christian leaders. But you're a member of my church. What, what, what goes, what's, what's, hap- what's going to happen to you when your pastor takes you to, and this is not hypothetical, this actually happened. You go and you see this, these pictures of these Confederate generals. What's the message coming across? Yeah. So the first thing I, I think is important for people to understand is if you want to pass a black members, you must you must first in uh, pass a black members well. Mm-hmm. OK, in a way that actually cares for them and not just sees them as opportunities for diversity or window dressing. But if you actually want to pass to them well in a way that actually speaks to where they're at, you must first understand how we learn. OK, so how we learn and how we interact is not merely individual. It is it is fundamentally communal so we interact as as a we right and this this is why people say things like and and people know this so people like no that's not true yes yes it is just turn on fox news and and watch how many times they refer to black pathology as a collective reality how many times will you hear oh well you know fatherlessness in the black community and Abortion yeah. rates in the black community, it's always in the black community because they intrinsically understand that we are a community. Yeah. And we think collectively, not, not necessarily group think, not that we all think the same. We're not a monolith. Yeah. But we do have collective similar experiences. And so when you have collective similar experiences, 
you do not think in individual incidents or in individual uh, instances, you think about the communal reality. And so one of the communal realities is I personally, I'm just, I'm not saying they don't exist. I personally do not know a black person and even specifically a black Christian who has not been uh, the victim of a racialized incident, whether explicitly called um, a racial slur, whether um, discriminated against, whether having an adverse encounter with the police um, or all the above, whether having dated someone of another culture or ethnicity and having been uh, treated poorly as a result of that. I don't know any black Christian who hasn't had that reality. And so we feel that in our bodies. Mm, yeah. And we feel that collectively. It's why there's such a large difference between, oh, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown or Eric Garner. And why is there such a divide between the reactions yeah. in white circles and black circles? Well, because we feel this. So he is not just, Michael Brown is not just a black teenager. Michael Brown is, is our cousin. Michael Brown is our brother. Michael Brown is somebody who we know, even yeah. if we didn't know him, right? Um, and so as a result, you know, the thing that we have to understand is all of our history is connected to where we are right now. Much in the same way we see in the Bible that history is not just some static concept, mm -hmm. but that history influences the now. The yep. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The historical through line gives confidence to the people of God so that they can live and act in a certain way. The same God who did this, the same people who experienced this, the hall of faith, as we like to say in Hebrews 11. And so as we think about that, imagine how much the history of slavery affects Black people and Black Christians today, innumerably. Yeah. The effect is off the charts and off the meter. So if you understand, first of all, fundamentally, okay, we learn differently. <laughs> we feel differently. History matters. We don't see things as separate from their historical context or social context, by and large, as a people. Then what do you think happens when <laughs> we see pictures of people who used to enslave us and who fought for the right to enslave us? Yeah. Being displayed prominently at a Christian conference. Well, that shows us that whatever conference this is, whatever group that is doing that has equated their Christianity with that particular cultural understanding. And so what I would do if I'm not your, I'm not one of your members, but if I were there and I saw that, I would never come back and yeah. I'd leave your church. I promise you I would. <laughs> And yeah, yeah. Now, now a lot of people now a lot of people are more long suffering and they're more concerned. But I know the implications of what that means for me. What that means is this is unsafe for me. Yeah. Because if those are your heroes, if those are the people who you look up to, your heroes are not my heroes. Yeah. And eventually they're gonna clash. And because yeah. you're in a position of power, your heroes are gonna win. And I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> stick around to be with you know, to be there when, when right. my heroes lose. Right. Yeah. And so th this really gets down into, man, if you're a pastor, if you're a spiritual leader, what's the narrative that you, what, what do you believe about this country? Mm. Hmm. What do you believe about this country? Yeah. No, I mean, really, what do you believe? What do you believe about the hard parts of this country? What do you believe about the failures and mistakes of this country? What are the major failures and mistakes of this country? Is it just abortion? Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're yeah. internally saying to yourself right now? Well, what about this? He's not going to address that. He's not going to address this. Well, let's let's nail let's nail it down. Yeah. Let's really nail down what it does to a country and whether or not it is rightly considered a Christian country or Christian nation when they import and enslave and separate families and yeah. whip and hang and lynch yeah. own and subjugate and for 400 and, tell you tell me what happens and i don't what yeah. do you think about that and don't stop until they're forced to what do you exactly there was no voluntary quitting there was there was, was not a, and but people think this is social but no this is this is theological 
Yeah. What you believe about this has theological implications for how you will treat people. It will make you say, it's not that big of a deal. It was a long time ago, mm-hmm. or this happened for so long. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were a part of this and the church stood idly by. I don't want to replicate this problem of the past. Yeah. I want to change. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language. Every time you call Jamar roots, I love it. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Get to the roots, Get to the roots of it. <laughs> what you're saying this is what white christians miss that you're you're bringing out and that you have been is that the bible is sufficient because mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about social justice and critical race theory and, and ignorant this and ignorant that we're not going to marx to find out how to understand american history you explicitly said the bible shows us how to understand our own history like, i think you i wrote it down the historical through line gives confidence to God's people. God used the history to tell them who they were and where they should be. When we come to America, we can't, I mean, how many times did I grow up hearing, well, that was a long time ago. We, so was the Exodus a thousand years later and God's mm-hmm. still bringing it up. So I think what our pastors need to hear is go to the Bible and see how we should understand the erasure of black history. Right. And so like, and, that's what you're yeah. saying. We can't pretend like some history matters in the Bible and that our own history doesn't. Um, I mean, I, and, and I was, we don't have the same history. That's that's another thing I'm trying to say. Like when yeah. people say, ah, oh, man, well, you know, it's, it's history. And we we have different histories. Right. And right. People say it was a long time ago. I'm like Emmett Till would have been in his in 91 or 92 this year. And <laughs> Dr. King would have been, I, you know, I'm terrible at math, but I think 92. 90 something. Yeah. I no, mean, come this, on, y'all. <laughs> it's not that. One of the things, one of the profound changes I had was was I would stay after church once I realized I didn't know what I was doing and talk to one of the older black members of our church and just have long conversations. And he's not that old. He's younger than my father. And he was like, when I was a kid, there were two libraries. Mm-hmm. One, why there was the big library. And I asked my mom if I could go into that library. And he said, and his mom told him, no, you can't go to that library. That's for white kids. Mm-hmm. Your library is over here and it's real small. He's a member of our church right now. He still drives himself to church. He's fully capable. He cares for people. Like he's not that old. So it's in, and listening to him and listening to you. And, and of course, listen to pass the mic and all the guests. It's this profound realization that you're saying is that there are two histories. There are two Americas. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what our listeners need to hear you say is, you don't know the history that you've been ignoring. And so when you walk into the sword of the Lord conference, and I'm sure they're still doing it to this day and see, (laughs) I'm probably more so um, you see white slave owners prominently displayed as Christians. That's a history. And it's not inaccurate. The history is, and they would be like, well, this is what happened. This is true history. And it is true. Um, Devout churchgoers, that's the hero. So if that's the hero, were there no black people back then? Were there no black Christians back then? Where are their pictures? Well, even and even beyond that, I mean, you know, how some, including Lee himself, you know, committed atrocities yeah. against their their black slaves, um, enslaved Africans. You know, it's just, you know, what are we talking about here? You know, right. and and when you when you have the cognitive dissonance to say these were great Christian men, but they owned people. And that was a footnote. You know, we just have different, again, it's just, it's just different. And let me, let me emphasize this too. You know, I'm not asking, and I don't think it's wise to expect for, for white pastors to become, you know, whatever, you don't have to become like me. I don't think that's even possible in many, in many cases. I think it's important for you to ask hard questions about, you know, the, the racism that is within your particular individual church and your church tradition. Because yeah. if you're not asking questions about that, it doesn't magically just go away. Um, it is something that can continue and can be taught explicitly or implicitly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and <laughs> we yeah. get to curriculum and stuff and, and, and things like that yeah. here in a little bit as well. But, you know, what I am saying is if you're not aware and if you're not asking the question, if, if, 
you know, if one of my members comes to me and this has happened and says, I have an illness and this illness scares me and I'll likely have to go into long-term care as a result of this illness. Well, what are you doing as a pastor? You are, you are asking the question, mm-hmm. what can our body of believers do to, to support mm-hmm. and construct an environment where we do not harm and make it worse, but yeah. we make it easier. And we also give some spiritual cons- context and guidance through a very difficult time. Now, yeah. if, if, that is not, <laughs> if that is not your heart towards Black Christians who are asking legitimate questions about why the instances of pain continue to happen, why is that acceptable for you as a pastor Mm-hmm. to ignore the pain that they feel. Where is that? Where is that in the Bible yeah. where we ignore pain? Where is loving our neighbor as ourselves? Where is bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ, not including yeah. <laughs> yeah. considering and validating the pain that people feel? Yeah. Um Speaking of, of medical issues, and I think part of the problem pastors have with listening to you and then going back to their own churches is they think that and this is what you mentioned before. They think there's two kinds of black people. There's the Tyler Burns. And then there's the member of their church because you say things that their church members don't say to them. And so like, Oh, it's not the same. But I remember I was members. So I've been, I took my dad was a pastor of the church I'm at. So that episode with you interviewing wow. your dad, that was, that was profound. Wow. That's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Racial issues are, are a, a thing. Um, so some of the black members have been members for 25, 30 years. So I was like a child with them in the church. So I grew up with, with a certain understanding of, of what they felt based on nothing more than just assumptions. But I remember a few years ago talking to an older black lady in our church and she just very, it's it, it taken a few years to get to this point, but casually said in a meeting, yeah, well, she goes, when I go see a white doctor, white doctors don't want to touch me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, yep. what did you just say? Absolutely. And it was like a ton of bricks as a pastor and someone who had known this lady for decades. The very concept of, of that kind of, the doctor wouldn't have even recognized that racism in himself, probably. Sure. But she did. And she just and she wasn't complaining. She wasn't arguing. She was just saying doctors don't want to touch me. So. Just because and I, and I want to emphasize to our leader, just because that black person didn't say these things that, you know, that Tyler here is saying doesn't mean they don't think and feel them. The difference being is they don't trust their pastor enough to say the hard things because and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. If a black person's in your church, it's because they probably love the pastor and love the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they don't want to say hurtful things that they know will hurt their pastor. Like, pastor, you don't care about me. And you don't you have no clue of the suffering I'm going through and you've kind of ignored it. And so I think it's it's hard for black people in these white churches to t- to to trust their pastor enough to say things like this hurts. And right. I, and I think and, and so well, and, and, you know, I think <laughs> I think all pastors should assume that it doesn't matter what type of pastor you are, your ethnicity, all pastors should assume that their people tell them about 20, 20 <laughs> percent of what they're actually thinking and feeling. I mean, right. I know this in my black church, you know, yeah, people, right. Situations people. will happen and then people just just, you know, explode <laughs> and say, that. I'm like, why didn't you come and tell me? I didn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that's what you think. Then that's that's funny from a pastoral perspective. But people are people. They don't tell you until it gets. <laughs> and too I'm learning bad. this. I'm a I'm a I'm a new word lead pastor. So I'm learning this. I'm learning. Yeah. This. But you know, one of the one of the most dangerous things you can attempt to do is armchair cultural analysis. Hmm. And it, again, examine 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 this reality. Would you send a because I know it's a big thing. Would you send a missionary to a foreign country without a, a thorough, complete study on the land, the customs, yeah. the language, 
the types of people, the terrain, you would prepare them. You would over-prepare them for what they would experience in an environment they were not used to. So be very careful about thinking that you bring all the requisite knowledge to any particular Mm -hmm. environment or any different people group that shares a different experience than what you have. Be very, very careful about that. Because again, that's not humility. That's not, that's not, you know, what we should be marked by as, as pastors and, you know, more fundamentally as, as believers. But one of the things that I'll just point this out. One of the things that conservative media and conservative Christian media have done um, so well is they have weaponized black people against one another. Mm. And the great mis- misnomer is that that is a democratic uh, conception. And that's the, the great misnomer is, oh, they just want to weaponize, you know, they just want to put pit us against each other. Watch how black people are deployed and used in conservative media circles and watch how black people are utilized as um, kind of a little bit of a, of, of the assuaging of consciences of white consciences. And so just, just watch, just look at who's, who's trotted out. Yeah. Thomas Sowell and Shelby yeah. Steele, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the same, it's same Ben Carson. Yeah. It's the same group of people, uh, Candace Owens, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Watch how it's done and watch how they are deployed. And if you use a Black person who you do not know or who you have not even walked a day in their shoes as mm-hmm. proof that all other Black people are wrong, that, that's not a us issue. Right. <laughs> that's something you need to repent of. Yeah. Because that's not, listen, that is an under, again, that is taking the individual and trying to put it on top of the communal yeah, and calling it good. It's trying to fit a square, um, a square peg into a round hole. It don't, it don't work. I don't judge uh, all basketball players by LeBron James. Right. LeBron James is an exception. I know it. He is, you know, six foot nine, 260 you know, a uh, prodigiously skilled and athletic marvel. And when I go to a pickup game, I do not take a look at the players and say, where's LeBron? <laughs> right. You know, he's an anomaly to the norm. Um, and, and I don't make that one-to-one comparison to say that, you know, these particular black people have a better understanding of us than we do. So I don't believe that's the case. But you should never take one person and import them onto the millions of black people (laughs) who you have not met. And and so one one of the things that's so important in the midst of that is, again, um, there are extensive conversations in our community that uh, you are not aware of. Mm. I guarantee it. Yeah. Doesn't matter who you talk to, how many black members you have, there are conversations in our community they would never be able to tell you about Mm -hmm. because there's just too many of them. And that conversation of who this person, you know, who, you know, which group bears burden and who should be this and what should we say and what's the ultimate solution are what we call in house conversations. And there are some conversations you can't understand unless you immerse yourself in the culture itself. And so I don't think it's the pastor's job to try to immerse yourself in whatever conversation or to prove who's what type of black person. Mm. I don't think that's a helpful or healthy thing to do. My question is this, Uh, do, do the black members of your church, regardless of where they lean politically or socially, do the black members of your church have a firm knowledge of their history? Mm. Do they have an understanding of what God says about points of pain in their experience? Hmm. Do they know that you care about Jesus and the intersection of Jesus and their experience? Do you speak to their experience? Do you listen to all of their experiences and perspectives? Those are the questions. The other questions are, are irrelevant. It doesn't yeah. matter if uh, there's a black Republican or a black liberal. It doesn't matter if it's an independent or a libertarian. None of that 
ultimately matters because then we try to give different types of care to different types of political ideologies. Mm. That is not our call. Yeah. Our call is how do we, how do we love people fully and not allow any person in our congregation to be under a misconception about who Jesus is and what Jesus says about them. That's the most important thing. And so can you, can you, you know, this is a question. Black Christians and black members need to hear the correction of intellectual misconceptions. If something is false, Mm. like not ideologically, but factually false, yeah. Someone brings to you a situation that did not happen, that was cooked up and, and made up by the media. Well, then you should probably say, I don't know if that really happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. okay to say that. We need that. Yeah. Black Christians need to hear that. Not about their pain, but about specific situations in the culture that just didn't happen. They just aren't true. Right. Black Christians members believe in QAnon conspiracies. <laughs> there yes. needs to be some conversations about that. Why? Because those things affect what we believe about truth, not mm-hmm. our opinions about what happened in culture. No, yeah. this is about what, what is true and what is not true. Factually, what actually happened, what didn't happen. If someone, oh, so-and-so said this and they didn't say it. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's probably a red flag. It doesn't matter right. if you're a black member or a white member, right? <laughs> like right. probably yeah. a red flag, right? Well, you talk, you talk. What about- you think about the truth, it matters. You yeah. Know? You talk a lot about the prophetic voice and part of being a prophet is you tell the truth. And if the king doesn't like it or if your neighbor doesn't like it, you just tell the truth because God told us to tell the truth. And ultimately, you love people by telling the truth. Now, what you're saying about QAnon, man, that I didn't know that was a thing until it was a thing. And then it was everywhere. Like, oh, I got friends. Mm-hmm. I got QAnon friends mm-hmm. um, in our churches. Like that, that kind of violence um, is, is infiltrating the church. Well, and, and, and what it comes from is a group of people who are believing that they're doing something that is, you know, for the, for the protection and benefit of children and yeah. a number yeah. of other things. And then they, they buy in hook, line and sinker to a thought process and a, um, a conspiracy theory that, wrecks their view of the world yeah and that is a pastoral concern right that is a pastoral concern yeah so i think pastors need to become very good at we we have to become very good at asking questions Mm. Mm -hmm. we have to ask questions about why people believe what they believe on whatever spectrum yeah and hopefully there is a humility and 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 i'll be honest with you i'm I'm a pastor i got conservative members in my church what Mm -hmm. y'all think we all the same yeah (laughs) I think everybody's just like, rah, rah, rah. Yeah, let's go out here and do this. Whatever Tyler says goes. Are you kidding me? There are conversations that we have that you are not privy to and that people are not privy to. But here's something. They they haven't left my church because of my political views. See, now that's another conversation because that's a that's that's some wisdom right there that I'd love to have. That's how you're managing the pastor. Cause you're outspoken. I mean, you're as outspoken. You can't be more outspoken than you are. You have a podcast where you just, Oh no, you, you can be more outspoken than me. Oh no. You can be more okay. way, way more outspoken than me. Oh my goodness. There's, <laughs> there's all kinds of there's This is a continuum. This is a spectrum, right? Um, but you manage people the... who are no, but I'll just, I'll just say there are people who are far, far more outspoken than I am who preach about this nearly mm. every Sunday in their pulpits. That's not necessarily um, my vibe, you'll just see it as, you know, a consistent thing because one of, you know, our church's values is we care about justice. So, I mean, yeah, yep. you'll see it come up, but you know, I mean, man, yeah, that's, that's, we, we pass a diverse black people are diverse and black congregations and churches are diverse and black people are going to have diverse opinions and that's okay. But I think the pastor should become a, a, an expert at listening and asking the right questions and humility. And those are the things that matter most, mm-hmm. N- not about you imposing your view on whatever black Christian, right? even if they're extremely conservative, I mean, that's not your job to impose your view on them. Yeah. Your job is to point out the truth. Right. And that truth, if it's done in the right way, probably will offend all of us a little bit at some point. It should, if we're doing our jobs. 
Yeah, let me um kind of a two-sided thing. Mm-hmm. The white and I'm going to just use the, the terms I normally use, white supremacy on one side. I don't I tend not to use the word racism because it doesn't communicate mm. something. Mm. I believe it's real and I use it sometimes, but I'd prefer to use white supremacy and anti-blackness. I can't remember who's 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 Dante Stewart maybe said that. That's um, my guy, Dante. That's my yeah, guy. right, right. He's up and coming, man. <laughs> he's, nah, uh, but he's he, not up and coming. He here. I, he, no, he's there. Just he's wait there. till you, just wait till you read his book, man. His book is incredible. Yeah, no, he's Oof. he's been reading James Baldwin, and he's becoming like a. Oh yeah, he's always been young Baldwin. Yeah, young Baldwin. That's <laughs> that's good. But I think it, I think it was he that said it. Um, you got to you got to name things. And so white supremacy on one side and anti-blackness on the other side is sort of what kind of makes up racism a little bit. What, what, and I, and I, and you've talked about this quite a bit, just because you're not saying anti-black things doesn't mean you're not anti-black. And one of the ways you do that is by elevating whiteness or white people. So white supremacy can never mention a black person negatively. Uh, and and you, you talk about this in your own education where it wasn't, White people are better than black people because none of none of our listeners are going to say that out loud, at least. And they're not going to have learned that at school. And they're certainly not going to have learned it at places like PCC where, where someone says white people are better. How does white supremacy work, though, where it teaches the same message while never talking about race? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think I think we go to the standard that Jesus sets in the Gospels, right? Jesus comes and redefines what we think of as the standards of the law. So Jesus says, okay, you heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, mm. if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already done it. Mm-hmm. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. No, actually love your enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So Jesus is deepening our understanding of what God intends in the law. And many of us have that type of approach to our cross-cultural interactions. Well, I didn't say, Mm. nobody at our church says, Mm -hmm. well, we love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, well, so are you you dealing with the the bare minimum Mm -hmm. or what is beneath the surface that is perhaps getting to the heart of the matter? And so I think for some people, when they talk about white supremacy and anti-blackness, they think of extreme experiences. Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of the questions I ask are, can black people flourish Mm. to their fullest extent in this church? So if a black man has a call to preach. Mm, Yeah. Can he receive, can he have his call affirmed? Mm hmm. Can he preach the way that God has gifted him to preach after he receives whatever requisite, you know, qualifications and credentials that the church requires? And is he going to be looked at differently, treated differently than a white pastor, a white man would have the same experience? Yeah. Can people speak freely? Yeah. Can they be heard patiently and charitably? Yeah. Can they say hard things and you not get offended? Mm-hmm. Do, do you have suspicion because they talk about this or say that? Well, th- th- those are that's where white supremacy shows up. It doesn't show up in. Yeah, sure. It shows up in the slurs and the overt situations. But you think that's where it starts? You think that's where it stays? Right. No, just like sin. Come yeah. on, y'all. Like sin. <laughs> sin isn't all. Oh, well, today. I'm yeah. going to go and commit adultery. No, it starts with a thought. Yeah. And that thought is something you fester on. And it it leads into this it's constant fantasy. And then mm-hmm. it leads into opportunity. You test the waters. You guys know how this works. Yeah. And pastors long enough to deal with this. Yeah. And do you think racism is a different type of sin? Do you think that, excuse me, white supremacy and anti-blackness is mm-hmm. a different type of sin? Yeah. And if you do... You have bought not into Bible, Mm. but into culture. 
conservative evangelicalism and commentary is influencing you more than Christ is. If you think that white supremacy is not a sin that should be addressed, I'm sorry. It's just, it just is. That's that. That's not Bible. That is not what we understand about the teachings of Jesus. No, that is what culture has told us so that we will not feel guilty about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, The pastors listen to us know their Bibles. They know what sin does. And it starts with, it wasn't me. It was this person that you gave me, God. It Mm -hmm. wasn't me. It's always deflection. So you don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Instead of this, it's deeper than we want to realize. And this means, just as as for our listeners, it doesn't, the fight against sin and specifically white supremacy and and anti-blackness doesn't end when you start listening to pass the mic. (laughs) When you have a black person come on your podcast. I mean, just as a, to be transparent as a way to help, it continues with the way you think about black people when you're not thinking about what you're supposed to be thinking about. So one thing I struggle with, and it, it's a sin, I want to be clear, it's a sin. When I see a young black man walking down the street, I, I was trained to think a certain way about him. If he's wearing a hoodie and, and my first thoughts, and this is after all these years of, you know, being woke, I think, oh, I just have a negative thought like, oh, no, what, what is trouble? And I have to I have to cat and say that's mm-hmm. wrong. That's that is whatever you want to call it. You can call it racism. You can call it prejudice. You can call it the sin of partiality. You can call it false witness. It happens and it doesn't go away because you want it to go away. And so it's this digging down into our own selves. Yeah. As a pastor and saying we will continue to struggle with sins that we just found out about. Yeah. Oh, come ago. on. Yeah. And, well, I mean, we, if, if we're not repenting, why do we expect other people to? Right. But we as pastors must be the, the chief repenters of sin and, yeah. and the ones who have accountability. Yeah. And who are found on our knees more than, more than holding phones with our fingers and typing <laughs> out typing out our latest opinions. No, we're right. supposed to be, we're supposed to be on our knees first. Yeah. And so if you are there, it will at least give you the humility to not be dismissive. And mm. so much of the black Christian experiences don't be dismissive. Um, just don't be dismissive of, of my experience. Don't, don't be dismissive. And so here's what I know. I know that there are a lot of, of uh, black members and Christians who are going to be in IFB churches for years to come, for decades to come. And my hope in my heart is that they would at least find a pastor who would not dismiss their reality, mm. who would listen to them humbly, who would be patient with their experiences and, and affirm their pain. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you're showing love. Yeah. When you love, you're being like Jesus. And if pastors can do that, th- there's a whole lot that has to go with, you know, unlearning and education. But if you're going to do if, if you're going to do anything, do that, please. I mean, just start there. Instead of instead of putting dukes up every time you see a, a a a a black voice or a black pastor or someone who is, you know, who is speaking out about these issues and speaking out about justice, before putting dukes up, if you just have a heart of humility that listens, that asks questions, that considers, you're yeah. far along. <laughs> you're far along. You have a long way to go, but that's all of us. Yeah, you're gonna be further good. along, and you're gonna have the opportunity to truly help people if that's your your heart yeah no i I mean if you love people that that's it that's the heart of the gospel that's the heart of being like christ is love people yeah that's good tyler i really appreciate this um last thing you guys introduced me to um the past mike podcast introduced me to truth's table yeah yeah truth's table shout out they don't listen to my podcast that'd be awesome if they did (laughs) they don't um, my people my people yeah so the uh so I've, I've at the end of their podcast they do a little thing that i'm copying from them so i want to give make sure they get uh, credit for it but they do uh one's gotta go so it's a kind of just something, something fun to do so i the hard part is finding three things they have a very specific cultural audience so they're doing like sure, is sure. it aretha or shaka and so i'm trying to think of like what's our thing so, <laughs> um, it's not those two whoever's no. the third gotta go <laughs> I was like, I think it was like, the last one was Whitney, Shaka, and Aretha. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, actually. And so I was like, Shaka's got to go. 
Yeah, that's that's usually who does. <laughs> Saga's got to go. All right, but I think you're a um, Marvel fan. I am. Yes, yes, big comic real, nerd. Real quick, are you watching the Falcon and Winter Soldier? I am. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm enjoying it. You like it? I do. I really like it. I know. I know. For for people, the ground bound uh, superheroes have different stakes yes. and considerations. So I think people are spoiled with uh, magic. Yeah. You have magic superheroes and then you have um, there's there's another category, which is really like rich superheroes. Mm-hmm. So opulently wealthy, you know, you have your your Tony Stark, your Batman. Those aren't really ground bound. They're they're different, yeah. Yeah. you know, and yes, they're ground bound in the sense that they they, you know, can do magic and have superpowers, but they're they're different. They're a different echelon. And so it's a lot of gadgetry and things like that. But. For groundbound, non-rich superheroes, the stakes are different, and I love those yeah. more real life things. What well, I mean, with past- trauma, family yeah. connections, I just I love that type of stuff. Right. It's different than a, okay, it's not going to make you imagine something a new world like Wandavision or something like that. Yeah. But you yeah. know, we well, need to change up. It's funny because um, the, the way they're dealing with specifically with racism is is really good. But they they go to Baltimore. And so my kids are watching. I'm like, they show Baltimore. I'm like, oh, Baltimore. Like, that's what, that's us. We're like, we live right outside of Baltimore. And then it's like, oh, they're going to deal with racism. Which is Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. Baltimore is great. So yeah, then it's, it's like, not. hey, kids, like they hear, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, it's racism, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> all right. So hilarious. I, I'm going to go with, uh, this is MCU, right? This is Marvel Cinematic okay. Universe. This is not comics or anything. So one's okay. got to go. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. Iron Man. Oh, right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Easy. Why, why is that? Buddy, buddy got to go. Well, he was the emotional core of the MCU, but they could have easily shifted that and made Steve Rogers the emotional core. So if you lose, if you lose your, your true center, your true north, as far as, you know, morality and character and integrity and Steve Rogers... Yeah, you know you're losing a lot, and if you lose uh, the most powerful force uh, in the MCU, uh, undeveloped force. Uh, the, some of the others aren't aren't developed, but Thor's the most developed, powerful. Yeah. Um, outside of just raw Hulk, but yeah. you know Thor with you know God of Thunder and the lightning, you know fully developed uh, Scarlet Witch would obviously be you know Wanda would be most, most powerful, powerful. But yeah. Um, yeah, you can't you can't lose. Thor and the everything you get with Tony as far as the the rich boy entitlement elite father father issues everything you get with Tony you get with Thor it's just it's just <laughs> I didn't think about just that. make it on a different planet so everything <laughs> you get with Tony you like and you love yeah Thor's had a gonna have to confront the same things huh you know so, so you just pick which one you like better. And for me, that would be Thor. You know, no, you're not going to get as many funny one-liners and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, it would definitely change the MCU. I mean, because you can't have, you know, Tony's gadgetry coming out of nowhere, you know, yeah, and saving yeah. the day. Yeah. But, you know, I think there was there's a way to, to get around it. So for me personally, I'd say, who do I like better? But all three of them are pretty much the same, you That's know, good. to me. I like them all very much the same. But if I got to pick from those three, oh, Iron Man got to go. Okay, you yeah. got to go. I, I 100% agree with you. I was wondering where, where it was going to go. I, I Captain America is my, one of my personal favorites um, just in any character, partly because the, he's the same. The little scrawny yeah. kid fighting in the, in the street versus him with Thanos. Yeah. Same guy. Like that's what I love. Plus you could uh, just throw him, uh, throw him the hammer, man. Just throw him the hammer. And so let him, let him wield the hammer yeah, and then uh, Thor can have the axe, <laughs> and then you good, man. Like, yeah. What do you think, Mark? Obviously, it would make a lot of changes to change to take out Iron Man because you know Robert Downey Jr. is so charismatic and has so much star power that yeah. he basically was the foundation they built the MCU on. Um, but I agree. Um, you can't get rid of Steve Rogers; he's the moral core of the universe. You can't get rid mm-hmm. of Thor because he's a connection to a different section of the universe that you're not going to see really. Mm-hmm without him also you don't have captain america with mjolnir if you get rid of either of them so can't can't get rid of that 
Oh, that moment. <laughs> so that's that that's good. the well, best mo- moment in the MCU. So you can't can't yeah, alter yeah. it. Yeah. Probably the best moment in superhero movie history. Maybe even movie history. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, superhero movies, it's a lot, it's a lot yeah. of great moments, but I think that might be the most what in the world just happened moment. And yeah. I've never had a reaction like that yeah. in a theater. Um, yeah. and it's funny, I went back to see it a second time and I looked around. I was looking around at, at people to see their yeah. reactions, which was a treat. But so so this is interesting. This is some witness insider stuff, but on our staff. Everybody has a um, MCU or everyone has a Marvel avatar. Okay. Everybody on the, it's something Bo started, but everybody on our staff has a representative like superhero avatar from Marvel. And so I won't tell, I won't tell everybody, but mine is that's as appointed (laughs) to me. It is not what I chose as appointed to me was uh, winter soldier era, Captain America. So that's what Bo gave me. So I was like, all right, bro. Yeah, all right. On the run from the government. Sounds good. <laughs> Follow it. Sounds Joker. like me, man. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> oh, that's, <good. laughs> that's interesting. Oh, yeah. So um, last thing, we can follow you on Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, man. Um, at Burns Clan on Twitter and Instagram. Um, on Facebook, I'm Tyler Burns there. Um, so much, so much context, so much everything. So mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the reasons why we just don't spend a, a whole ton of time just being like, hey, you know, yeah. let me explain every single thing that I say, the cultural yeah. context of why we say it. So there's a lot there that you would have to unpack and peel back. But, you know, if you if you choose to follow and listen to the podcast mm-hmm. and hopefully it encourages you, challenges you and gives you insights into a world you may not be familiar with. So, yeah. Yeah. And let me say again, listen to the um, I think April 5th episode where Tyler gives his background, which will really oh, help. Yeah. That's a yeah. great intro. And for our listeners who, who know the PCC culture and then getting introduced to you where you connect there and that'll. That, oh that yeah. No, that is, that is important to listen to just not for me, but only because I'm telling some stories that people may not be familiar with and mm-hmm. may not know. And that my whole, stories are really dropping the bucket. They're all those episodes. It's, it's it's like happening real time too. Like these stories aren't the ancient past. It's like oh no, they're right now. Yeah, I remember like this one funny thing that you guys kind of connected the dots. Understanding so like with the leave loud stories, you're kind of revealing what you were feeling back then about mm-hmm. the conflicts you were having, and finally the movement to leave. And then having listened for a few years now, I can connect little stories. So I remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember one episode. This was I don't know how many years ago. Jamar's telling you, he's like, yeah, I saw Tyler at the store, like picking up shoes or something. And he was wearing a do rag and he was wearing this and he was nobody's pastor right then. And it was funny. <laughs> he's, like, he's nobody's pastor right then. Kind of like, cause you didn't have the look. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I was just like, Oh, that's funny. I don't really get it, but whatever. But now maybe five years later, listen to the story. It's like, wait a minute. Why, why wasn't anybody's pastor? Like where was the yeah, disconnect no, for the the listeners? Exactly. No, and that's and that's something that is so funny because I think we've we've grown a lot in our misconceptions and our unpacking our misconceptions about our our own worthiness and mm-hmm. those types of things. But yeah, part of that's Jamar joking. But you know, well, no, well, let me clarify. Every, he was having it was sort of he was having an inside joke where he didn't have a problem. But from the yeah. outside perception, he was saying people would think he's not. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, that was it's so it's so funny how much we changed and hopefully grown in, in positive ways. And, you know, still have a lot of growing to do. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we're young. So it's a lot of things right. that we're still we're still learning. So. And then one last encouragement. Uh, maybe you could pass this along to Jamar. Because when you're living in the leave loud stories, you're talking about the the rant. So. The witness used to be called Reformed African American Network, mm-hmm. and there's reasons for that. And and I think you asked Jamar at one point, "Do you regret something? Re- regret? I can't remember what the regret was. Maybe calling it Reformed or being a part of that." Mm-hmm. But I'll say for me, six years ago, the reason I started reading it was because it was called that, mm. and I wouldn't have read it if it was called The Witness of Black Christian Club. <laughs> and that's on me. Like I wasn't oh, ready. I, was, no. I wasn't. Um, I was too caught up in a lot of, uh, so one of the no, good the journey was right. The journey was right. 
it brought me in at a time when I could handle it and then was able to grow into now where I can handle more. So just one little tiny story for something good that came out of that was it it gave me an on-ramp when I wasn't ready to, I couldn't handle anymore. And so God had that ready for me. That's that's encouraging, man. Me neither. Probably. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have been a part of it. (laughs) So, all right, Tyler, man, we really appreciate this. No, thank you guys for having me on. It was a, it was an honor. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice. Hey guys, we are starting a Patreon and the purpose to be, we'd like to give our guests a little bit of um, appreciation money for coming on, sharing their experiences with us, which took many years to get. So if you'd like to support us, support our guests, and then also we might... Um, put together like a a conference or a zoom meeting and have people on for that. If you'd like to support that, go to patreon.com slash history and hope. And you can, uh, you can subscribe. We might do special content on there, uh, for our listeners. But if you want to support our, our show and also our guest, sign up.